0: You're listening to That's News To Me, Episode 1. It's Tuesday, February 2, 2016. Hey everybody, welcome to the very first episode of That's News To Me, I'm Ace, In today's episode, I'll discuss the results of last night's Republican and Democratic caucuses in Iowa, the Federal Aviation Administration's new personal drone regulations, I'll discuss Spike Lee's newest Michael Jackson documentary, plus my random rants and commentaries, plus a Michael Jackson moment. Where are you guys listening to me from? Are you in the car, headed to work? At home, getting ready for dinner? Are you working out? Hell no, you ain't working out. Sheesh. Wherever you are, thanks for being here. Go ahead and ride this beat for a minute. Put yourselves in the mood. Today's episode is sponsored by Caribbean Killer Pepper Sauce. Your family deserves real flavor inspired by authentic Trinidad-style blends. Give it to them by checking out the fresh organic ingredients, flavor varieties of spice rubs and sauces, and convenient shipping options at Caribbean Killer Pepper Sauce's Etsy page. Etsy, E-T-S-Y, etsy.com slash shop slash CK Pepper Sauce, and also on their Facebook page for Caribbean Killer Pepper Sauce. What are you bringing to the table? I've tasted them all, and man, this stuff is the truth. More details later on in the podcast. Well, guys, here we are. Episode one of That's News to Me. I appreciate so much that you're here listening to me. I owe a lot of you some thanks for words of encouragement during times of procrastination. But here it is, launch day. I hope to be doing this at least once a week with news and commentary, some funny stuff thrown in there. We'll see how this goes. If you're listening to me right now, you're most likely listening to me via SoundCloud. I appreciate that. While you're there, take the time to rate, review, and like the individual tracks or episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the actual feed so that you'll get new episodes as I post them. Be sure to share the feed with your friends on Facebook, where you can also find a page for this show. That's news to me. And while you're at the Facebook page, feel free to leave me questions, comments, and criticisms. Leave me ideas for future show topics. There's also an inbox if you feel the urge to uh, write me a letter ranting and raving or pouring out your heart. If it's interesting enough, I'll read it to the public if you so desire. Anyhow, I'm going to jump right into this and get to some news. The federal government is now requiring the registration of remotely controlled airplanes, helicopters, and drones. Why is this news to you? Well, over 750,000 new remotely controlled aircraft were purchased for Christmas, okay? Now, the majority of these things are those quadcopters, you know, those little hovercraft that have four propellers on the top of them. Those are what most people are flying around today and calling them drones. We're not talking about these big scale miniature planes, basically, that the military uses. We're talking about little quadcopters, okay? Now... Seven hundred and fifty thousand plus, that's the better part of a million people. An assortment of kids and everyday dumbasses just putting shitty batteries into their gadgets that are destined to careen into your face. Okay? Now, as it has passed twenty first of December, the Federal Aviation Administration is requiring all owners of small unmanned aircraft weighing between half a pound and fifty pounds to register online into a national database before they fly. So if you already owned one, You can keep flying it, and you'll have until February 19 to register it. If you got one after December 14, you have to register before you fly. And then you'll have to put a sticker with your registration number on your drone or your plane and hold on to your tinfoil hats here. You got to have to carry a registration card with you when you fly. That's so the authorities, the feds, can track you down if you violate federal laws and slap a fine on your ass. Uh, registration costs five bucks and it's good for three years so what are these guidelines the FAA is setting out here um really basic common sense stuff uh don't fly any higher than four hundred feet you know keep the craft within eyesight because if you can't see it, how can you fly it uh don't go near other planes or other obstacles that's probably one of the biggest concerns the uh, government has you know collisions with real aircraft with people or fuel inside of them. Don't fly in bad weather, so don't go out there trying to catch some twister footage. Let's see. Do not fly near or over sensitive infrastructure or properties such as power stations, water treatment facilities, correctional facilities. Check it out. Correctional facilities. That's already posed a problem for authorities. If you haven't heard these stories before, it was only a matter of time before throwing a package over a prison wall would evolve into carpet bombing the yard with smokes and cell phones and some flaca from a quadcopter can you imagine that (laughs) can you imagine the excitement in the prison yard as the quadcopter comes in it's coming it's coming closer it's gonna drop some flaca in the yard hold on everybody so yeah don't fly your drone over a prison it doesn't look good don't fly within five miles of airports okay makes sense Look, as reasonable as all of this sounds, there's a group of people out there that have been flying remote control planes for years that are a little bit pissed off about all of this newfangled government regulation. They basically feel like, you know, they're being told to follow rules that they've been following all along, according to them. Now, serious remote control hobbyists, they usually belong to something called the Academy of Model Aeronautics, which is a nonprofit. It requires the members to register their craft so that they can fly at their their fields. The problem with that is not everybody's interested in becoming a member or flying at their fields, which means that this academy of model aeronautics doesn't really have any say over people that step outside of their houses and start flying. It's also a little arrogant to presume their self-regulation is working. They can't vouch for everybody. I realize people have been safely flying their stuff for decades, but this is a new era. You know, people can just go down to the Walmart and start buzzing around their neighborhood immediately back in the day you know these types of things were expensive so people were uh, a little bit more invested with becoming good at flying them so like i said i think these rules make sense we're talking about shit flying around in the air people who the hell is flying this stuff think about it half a pound to 55 pounds do you want half a pound or more of anything falling from the sky onto you your kid your car i've seen it firsthand seriously in december i was on my porch and I hear a little buzz, and I see my neighbor out there with his mouth gaping open, looking up at the sky for about 30 seconds. That's how long his flight lasted. He took off in one direction, and he had to, like, he had no control over it. The, the damn thing went out over a four-lane road and smacked the top of a school bus and then got run over by the rest of the traffic. How good is your reaction when a two-pound mechanical object crashes into your car in an instant? It crashed into a school bus. It could have swerved or who knows. Are you certain you wouldn't swerve if a drone crashed into your car? I don't know why it crashed. Maybe it was just a piece of shit toy. Maybe the batteries weren't charged up. But that's the point. You can't rely on somebody else having common sense and knowing what they're doing. This is something that is up and could come down with serious consequences. What about privacy? You're going to have people checking out the cool shit you keep in your backyard, peeking at your family while you splash around in your pool. What if you live near a military installation where planes routinely fly? Anybody who's had the privilege of living somewhere like Homestead, Florida, knows the joys of seeing fighter pilots practicing from the roof of your home. You want somebody out there with a drone trying to catch some cool footage, causing all that risk? So that's that. Keep your head on the swivel, in your eyes, the disguise, because every other idiot with 50 bucks to spend on a crappily assembled quadcopters out there right now high as shit saying watch this and trying to impress a neighbor before hurtling into a crowd of kids at the ice cream truck <laughs> at least now there'll be a sticker on it in entertainment news spike lee's documentary michael jackson's journey from motown to off the wall premiered on january 24th at the sundance film festival in utah it will also air on showtime on the 5th of february that's this friday The film covers Michael's transition from his time with the Jackson 5 at Motown through the recording of his off-the-wall album at CBS Epic Records. There's plenty of archival footage of concerts, award shows, and interviews with people that helped make the record and contemporary stars that credit Michael Jackson with influencing them. Now, to a non-fan, the importance of this period of time in Michael Jackson's life and career might not be apparent. Let me give you the quick rundown. Michael was completely over the bubblegum sound that Motown was forcing him to do while he was with the Jackson 5. He had his own ideas and songs in his head, and Motown wasn't letting him write or produce anything. So he split, and he took his brothers with him, except for Jermaine. There are six brothers. The Jackson 5 was made up of Michael, Marlon, Jackie, Jermaine, and Tito. Randy was the youngest brother after Michael, but he was not a part of the Jackson 5. When the brothers left Motown, Jermaine had a conflict because he had married Motown president Barry Gordy's daughter, so he decided to stay with Motown. Little brother Randy filled Jermaine's spot, and the Jackson 5 became the Jacksons because Motown wouldn't give up the name Jackson 5. So legally, they weren't allowed, and they had to change the name to the Jacksons. So now Michael was free to express his creativity, his natural talent for making music and writing songs, and they did well. The Jacksons were a very successful group, but Michael wanted to fly solo, and that's the essence of this documentary. Spike Lee has already done a Michael Jackson documentary. In 2012, he did Bad 25, which covered the recording of the Bad album and the videos that went with it. And the reason it did so well is that Spike Lee has access to real footage. He's working... With the estate of Jackson. So he has uh, um, access to interviews and concert footage that you might not just find doing a search on YouTube. So this stuff is really well made. It's obvious that Spike Lee cares about Michael Jackson's legacy. Again, Michael Jackson's journey from Motown to Off the Wall airs this Friday night, the 5th, on Showtime. Be sure to check that out. And I'll play you now a clip from one of the trailers for the documentary, and in it you can hear The weekend talking about Michael, and you can hear Questlove from the Roots talking about him. Listen up.
1: Don't stop till you get enough, Had this kind of like, this opening groove, right? And the opening groove kind of sets you off. If you were a dancer, you know, you let that sink in.
0: I always use Michael as first and foremost as a vocal inspiration. And Off The Wall was definitely the one that made me feel like I could sing. I found my falsetto because of Off The Wall. Don't stop till you get enough. (laughs)
1: Bizarre lyrics, well, to me, the bizarre lyrics that were quoting Star Wars. I didn't even know he was saying, Keep on with the Force, Don't Stop. I thought it was about forks. When I was a kid, I was just like, Keep on with the forks. I didn't know what the forks were.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Caribbean Killer Pepper Sauce. All products are 100% organic and handmade by the owner, Rebecca, in small batches with no chemicals, preservatives, pesticides, MSG, anti-caking agents, or any fillers. She grows most of these herself, and when she can't, she has a local and reliable source that does grow the ingredients organically. Some of the ingredients include garlic, onion, cumin, coriander, turmeric, cinnamon, nutmeg, habanero pepper, Carolina reaper pepper, Trinidad scorpion pepper, and the infamous ghost pepper. Let me let you in on a little secret. If you were to attempt to recreate these flavors yourself at home, it would take immense time and immense care. You're not going to plant seeds and wait around for peppers to grow. You won't maintain an organic atmosphere for your herbs free of disease and insects. You're going to put on gloves and dry and grind these things? Are you going to maintain a sterile environment? Hell no. What you're going to do is go to etsy.com slash shop slash Sauce like you have some sense and get to clicking and enjoy hassle-free and secure payment and shipping options. There are three sauces and five dry rub blends. The sauces begin in heat with hot, then move up to pure evil, concluding with the third and most intense wicked. This stuff packs a kick and you want to tread lightly. This isn't salsa. I've tried it. I use spoonfuls of this in pots of soup. Now, while the sauces are intense, the dry rubs aren't as blatantly spicy, depending on how much you sprinkle into your recipes. The dry spice rubs are available in five flavors. Original, Wicked, Curry, Wicked Curry, and Wicked Jerk. The Wicked incarnations of the curry and jerk spices are just a bit spicier. I tried variations of each of these flavors thanks to a convenient sample pack that the company sent me, which is also available for purchase. The presentation is attractive enough that I have the jars prominently displayed above my stove. They are little mason jars with the metal discs and separate lids with the sharp logo on top. They look really good, and they make the kitchen look like some serious shit is going down. I tried the rubs on crab legs, pork chops, shrimp, chicken, soups. The wicked jerk seasoning in chicken soup was ridiculous, just awesome. I used the curry for a chicken with peas and rice dish. I threw some of the original spice rub in almost everything except cereal. I was raised in South Florida. I understand Caribbean food, understand what it's supposed to taste like. Understand what it's supposed to smell like. This is the real deal. So congratulations, Rebecca. I know these products mean more to you than just a sale. Folks, the shop accepts Etsy gift cards. You can contact Rebecca directly via the shop and discuss custom orders at Caribbean Killer Pepper Sauce's Etsy page at etsy.com shop pepper ckpeppersauce. And also keep in touch on their Facebook page, Caribbean Killer Pepper Sauce, preserving generations of West Indian heritage in every jar. Republican and Democratic presidential candidates faced their first test last night in Iowa as their caucuses were held across the state. Voters braved the weather and long lines at high school gyms, churches, and community centers to participate in the first event that allowed people to state who they are choosing. A caucus is a strange thing, folks, but it's fascinating. Let me explain how a caucus works. First, a caucus results in delegates. Candidates that do well in the caucuses Win more delegates, and delegates go on to their party's national convention in the summer and cast a vote for their candidate. So the whole point of a caucus is to win as many delegates as you can. This is just the first state to hold the caucus or primary. Some states have a caucus, and some states have a primary. The difference being that a primary is more like a normal election where people cast a ballot in a voting booth. Most of you are probably familiar with the term Super Tuesday, which is the day in early March in which the majority of states hold their caucuses or primaries. In Iowa's case. There are about 1,800 precincts across the entire state, and each one holds events at public places at a certain time. If you're late, you're asked out. You can't get in. Now, the Republicans, they keep it simple, and they just have a ballot vote like a normal election. People go to their caucus locations across the state, they enter a booth, and they vote. The Democrats, they have a crazier process. Caucus goers gather at their predetermined locations, usually a high school gym, and they take a head count. Then people start socializing and advocating for their candidates with the hopes of winning over everybody else. Honestly, most people already know who they're there for. But eventually, the gathering is split into groups representing their candidate, almost like huge football huddles. If a candidate's group of supporters is less than 15%, they have to either choose another candidate's group to join or go gather with other undecideds and wait to be recruited by another candidate's group. I'm pretty sure being undecided is a lot more fun at a caucus. If I was at a caucus and I knew who I was going to be voting for, I'd still mess around and hang out with the undecideds because that's got to be pretty cool, having people come up to you and try to convince you to come to their side. I'd be like, nah, tell me more. Anyway, the less popular candidate supporters eventually get disbanded and you end up with viable candidates, meaning they have the majority of support. A number of delegates is awarded to the candidates according to their group size, Now, remember, this doesn't just take place in in one high school gym. This is taking place all over the state. You know, 1,800 precincts. For some reason, I always picture a caucus like a a cheesy gang fight from an old movie or musical or something. Groups are formed. They split up. People in a smaller group start thinking, shit, we're going to get our asses kicked. Maybe we should go in that bigger group over there. What do you think? (laughs) So what happened last night? On the Republican side, it was Donald Trump versus Ted Cruz versus Marco Rubio. The Democrats had Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders. For the Republicans, in third place, Ted Cruz received 23.1% of the party's Iowa vote, earning him seven delegates. And second, Donald Trump got 24.7% of the vote, and he also received seven delegates. Ted Cruz topped them with 27.6% of the vote and eight delegates. On the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton virtually tied one another, with Sanders garnering 49.6% of the votes with 21 delegates and Clinton achieving 49.9% in 22 delegates. Now, let's be honest. Neither side can claim any type of a landslide win. Sanders and Clinton, they're both within a percentage point of a 50-50 split. And to be honest, that looks better for Sanders than Clinton. Whether or not it's fair, Clinton's got the whole tenth of presumed Democratic nominee for president. And a tie looks more like a win for Bernie Sanders and a loss for Hillary Clinton. Ted Cruz, he's only ahead of Donald Trump by less than four percentage points and one delegate. And by the way, the number of delegates a candidate needs for the nomination is huge. There are 2,380 Republican delegates total and 4,047 Democratic delegates total for candidates to gain. Considering the Iowa caucuses only count for about 1% of the national delegates and nobody won last night by more than one delegate, there's no blowout here. Iowa's caucuses are important mostly because they're the first real decision-casting steps toward a general election. It's something, you know, tangible that people can see and feel and participate in. The candidates get a lot of exposure, and the rest of us get a feel for where things are headed. So next up is the New Hampshire primary, and we'll see what happens there. I've got to say, Trump, he sure did turn down the arrogance last night, didn't he? After those uh, results came out, things are going to get tough for him if it starts losing, if he starts losing momentum, because he's been talking so much shit. Everybody's a loser to him. He's insulted everybody. He's burned bridges and business and social circles. Think life after the campaign might be a bit awkward for him if he doesn't do well. So that's that. Folks, I'd like for you to allow me to take you to church for one moment. Facebook church, that is. You see, there seems to be a new thing going around now where I'm being hounded all day long to type amen for some goddamn reason. You've seen them. You can't scroll down your news feed without seeing these photos of horribly disfigured or diseased children with a caption that demands that you type amen. What's that all about? I'll tell you what it's all about. It's all about that bullshit. These people that post these photos, they're not ministers, they're not people of God. They aren't going out into to the community and advocating or donating or volunteering their time. No, they're generating likes and hits and whatnot. Apparently you get some kind of monetary gain if you get thousands of people to like your shit. But this is horrible, man, right? These are just people that go and do a Google image search. Find the most pity inducing photograph of some child. And then tell you, if you scroll past this photo without typing amen, well, then what kind of a Christian are you? Well, what kind of a Christian are you? Are you the kind of Christian that types amen on a photograph and thinks, well, that's that. Did my part. Is that what we've come to? I mean, far, from, far be it from me to judge. Lord knows I'm not a Christian. And there's another phenomenon going around in the same vein. Have you seen this one? They show you a pile of cash. They say, oh, click amen, and you're going to get this money. Or even better, how about these? Profiles that say, "Hey, Fifty Cent or uh, Floyd Mayweather is going to give you fifty million dollars. All you have to do is share and like this photo, and you're going to get this cash." Come on, how stupid can you be? Don't you even see? That's not even that celebrity's Facebook page. You guys know how you can tell a Facebook page is handled by a real celebrity, right? There's usually a little blue check mark next to the the profile image, lets you know it's official, it's been verified. These are the real people. Come on, if 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 you think Floyd Mayweather is giving away $50 million, how about you type in Floyd Mayweather and go to Floyd Mayweather's real site? I'm sure he'll be talking about it on his site if it's true, but it's not. And I guess what makes me mad about this is these are people that are like Facebook friends with me I know somehow or some way. Are you really that stupid? You're going to type amen and cure something or get money? It's that easy? Is that how faith works? Pray and hit like for some cash and some cures. Like I said, I'm not one to judge. Probably lost about five listeners just there. So I'm down to about two. But <laughs> seriously, I, I tell you what, if I thought for a moment that that stuff was true, I would be all over it. I'd be clicking and liking and praying. I would be scrolling down my newsfeed like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well. Folks, from time to time, I'm going to have a little segment on this podcast called the Michael Jackson moment only because I can and I want to. And it's my podcast for the first Michael Jackson moment. I'm going to leave you with an audio clip of director John Landis speaking about his time with Michael after wrapping up production of the thriller video. John Landis, if you didn't know, is a director who directed such movies like Animal House. Coming to America, Kentucky Fried Movie, The Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, and of course, the Thriller video and the Black or White video. Listen up.
1: After Thriller, we went to Disney World. And I have this photograph in my library I I really treasure, which is a really silly photo of Michael... Well, it's Michael Jackson, Mickey Mouse, and me. A guy took like two pictures when I heard this deafening noise. And I looked and I saw... The security guy, this big guy, freaking out, you know, talking into his microphone. And I thought, what is it? And I turned around, and I don't know how to explain it. It's the only time in my lifetime I was truly terrified. I thought, we're dead. (laughs) And it was a sea of people. So, I mean, they completely surrounded this island of grass, they were held back by this little chain. And when I say a sea of people, people as far as you could see in every direction, thousands of people, I don't know how many people, but thousands of people, all of whom were hysterical. The kind of hysterical like Beatle, Elvis, Sinatra hysterical. I mean, they were Michael Jackson hysterical. And the, I, I looked and I thought, oh my God. And it got louder and the screaming. I mean, you could—you had to shout to hear the person next to you because of the screaming. And they were, you know, like, there, there, there. And, you know, at Disney World and Disneyland, the characters in those costumes are never allowed to speak. And, you know, Mickey looks at me and goes, <laughs> you know, and I realized, oh, if Mickey's scared. And uh, I don't know how long it was, but from nowhere, this Cadillac limousine, I'll never forget it. I don't know where it came from. Just <laughs> disney magic this cadillac limousine and the security people grabbed mickey michael and me all three of us threw us into this car with mickey's giant head you know where? like so there's mickey michael and me thrown into this car and they slammed the doors and the chains broke and it was like the ocean it was like surf this wall of people came like you know the sorcerer's apprentice like around the car and Mickey and I are just plotting where st- the driver was going. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I said, "Don't drive. You'll kill somebody." And and Michael was like, "Hi, hello." <laughs> I'm totally not fa- not phased. People ask me, you know, what's it like working with Michael Jackson when uh, and when we made Thriller? Michael was twenty, and it was like working with an incredibly gifted ten-year-old. And. In no way do I mean that as a criticism. It was he had real, um, he was emotionally stunted. I don't know. He he he. He's certainly someone who wore his heart on his sleeve. Let's put it that way. And he always made me laugh. I he, I always made him laugh. And I was always able to say, Mike, what the hell are you doing? That's too weird for me, you know. And he would laugh. He'd dismiss it. Oh, John, he'd say. Michael, you know it was uh, he had all kinds of issues and you know there was a lot of strangeness and the bottom line though, he was a very sweet guy. He was a um, a lovely guy who had just unbelievable, you know death by celebrity, I think is a uh, a saying but to have that kind of talent, the guy was incredible, you know I mean it's so silly I'm getting upset, but he he was he was an extraordinary forgive me. I apologize. It's not like me. He was very, very clearly something about Michael touched people, and regardless of all the jokes and all the the eccentricities and odd behaviors and wackiness, uh, you know, the truth is, it's amazing. You know, I, I. I'm very privileged. I'm very lucky to have collaborated with an artist like that, someone so amazing. And it's not fair, you know. He's only 50. It's not fair. I'm very upset. I feel stupid. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, friends, that's going to wrap it up for this, the first episode of That's News to Me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast at SoundCloud, where you're most likely listening to this right now. Please like the individual track or episode. Please comment on it. And also subscribe to That's News To Me by clicking the RSS feed link. That way you'll get new episodes as I post them. Additionally, please share the link to this podcast with your friends across social media. On Facebook at the page That's News To Me. You can also contact me and discuss things with me. Leave me questions, comments, criticisms. Write a letter to me in the inbox like the old days and tell me what's going on with you. Rant and rave or give me suggestions for show topics. If it's interesting enough, I'll read it out loud on the air for you if that's what you want. In the future, I hope to have some sit-down interviews with people, some musical people, some historians. Hope to have some friends over here to play some trivia. That ought to be fun. I hope the show will be exactly what you expect it to be. A little bit of information, some shits and giggles, whatnot. Take it easy, guys. See you next week.